Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time, in episode 39, we're going to talk about a shower idea, that is a hot water shower idea, that should work in any van. We're also going to talk about some air compressors and what they're for and why you want to have one in a van. We're going to do a product review of the Sea Eagle 370. Uh, That's a boat. And a place to visit that is an entire state. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us here for Built to Go. And a special thanks to those of you who listened to our bonus episode last week about Simon Wagg and the music of the podcast. I hope you had some fun with that. I certainly had fun making it. Ironically, it's the longest episode of the show, although it technically isn't an episode. doesn't matter. Thank you couple of newsy items, uh, updates. I, I missed a few things in, in a recent episode. I, I did an episode on uh, off-roading in a two-wheel drive vehicle, and I missed a couple of very important points. I'm not sure how, but it happened, and I'm going to address them right now. The first one is that if you're going to go off-road, seriously off-road, or, or anywhere, basically, where you're worried about getting stuck, there are these things called recovery boards that you can bring with you. Max Track is the most common name, and, and what they are are basically these large, flexible plastic boards that you can put under the wheel that provide maximum traction and will get you out of many, many different spots, whether you're stuck in snow or ice or sand or mud. They're actually a really good thing. There's also a way to make them out of milk crates if you don't want to spend the sadly hundreds of dollars that they've cost, and there are some knockoff ones that are cheaper. But if you're going to go off-road, and especially in a two-wheel drive van, I highly recommend you think about this problem and consider bringing some things for traction. People talk about using floor mats that can maybe work sometimes in an emergency and carpet, but really, these are the things you want. The other thing I forgot to mention is that if you're on a washboard road, that's a road that looks like an old washboard, and you're driving and it goes like this, and you just talk like this, and you get that kind of a road, you can reduce that effect if you lower your air pressure. If you lower it down to, say, 20 PSI, depending on your van, your tires are going to absorb a lot more of that vibration. It'll make your ride a lot more comfortable. Now, you have to stay at a reasonable speed. You can't be doing 60 miles an hour with that low air pressure on those roads. But, you know, you you can move along at a much more comfortable clip that way. And we're going to talk about air compressors more when we get to Tech Talk. Another thing, this is kind of fun, I am doing a trip probably next week. I haven't actually picked a day to leave yet. The choose my adventure kind of a trip. So do you know those books where you choose your own adventure and it says, if you choose to go right, turn to page 47. If you go left, turn to page 49. I'm going to do that with a trip, except that you guys are going to tell me where to go. So I've created a poll. And so I've created a poll and you have to tell me where to go in the poll. Whichever answer gets the most votes is where I will go. I have no choice in this. You're telling me where to go. And to start this trip, I have these things on the poll. You can tell me to go to hell, to the devil, to Coventry, which is an English expression meaning go away, to the moon, to the morgue, to blazes, to jail, to paradise, to the cornfield, or to the glue factory. Any of those, and I will go there. Now, I have a place associated with each one of those words, a very specific place. So I will go to that place and do a Facebook Live from there, 
and I will also record it and, and make a video and, and do all the social media stuff I can. I'm, I'm trying to get a handle on all the different social medias. And the idea is that every time I get to a place, I'll put up another poll, or probably just before I get there, and you will tell me where to go from there. And it won't always be something like that. I'm like, it might be as simple as tell me which way to go, north, south, east, or west. Or tell me how to pick your next place. Tell me to use Roadside America or Atlas Obscura or some random thing or whatever. Anyway, that's the idea. I think it'll be fun in real time because I have the belief that no matter where you go, there's something interesting to see. And I aim to prove that with this trip. I'm a little worried about some of the logistics and things may not go well, but we'll see. And I'd like to give it a try. And if you would like to be involved in this, that brings us to the next piece of news is that we now have a Facebook group associated with this podcast. Yes, I know there are 800,000 van life groups, but lately they've a lot of them anyway, have just devolved into three things that I really don't like to see. One is blatant political posting where people are posting political statements just trying to get a rise out of people. Another is rig shaming where people will post a picture of their rig and people will jump on them and like, oh, that's stupid or what an ugly van or whatever. And the third is an intolerance for newbies where folks will ask questions and people were like, why don't you use the search or that's the 17th time this week that question's been asked. I've created this group so that we don't have to worry about those things because in this group, newbies are always welcome. I don't care how many times a question's been asked, we can tolerate it and answer it. And we'll just skip the politics stuff. I mean, many of these groups have a problem with moderation. And so since I'm moderating the group, I know it's going to be moderated the way that I would like, but I will also be taking some of you guys as moderators too. So the name of the group is strangely enough, built to go a Facebook group. And uh, I'll have a link in the show notes. It's pretty easy to find. And it's just getting started. It takes a while to reach momentum with these groups. So if you'd like to be a part of that, please do. And I will make sure that a lot of this trip stuff is posted there so you can, you can follow along there. So thank you for that. And with that extended set of notes, we can actually get into the episode. And here's the exciting thing. I think there is an easy, fairly affordable way for nearly everybody to have a hot water shower in your van. And sadly, I ordered all the stuff I needed to do this from Amazon last week, and the shipment got lost. So I'm just going to talk about it here, and then when I actually get the stuff, I'll tell you how well it worked. Here's the concept. To take a shower in a van, you need, and, and a hot water shower, mind you, you need hot water, you need some sort of a way to have water come out of something that will get on you, and then a way not to fill your van with water. That's an important part of this. I mean, sure, anyone can take a shower in the van. The difficulty is not getting the bed wet, basically. So here is the solution that I have come up with based on watching a lot of YouTube videos and other things. And it's got a few parts that I've stolen from different places. So Basically, none of these ideas are original to me. It's just a combination of them. The first part is, where do you get the hot water from? Yes, you can install a hot water heater. If you've got a big van and you've a fancier build, meaning you have more money, there are many ways to install hot water heaters that work. They run on propane generally. That is an option. But for the rest of us who are in smaller vans or maybe not as fancy builds, there is a way to make hot water you can make it on the stove. You almost certainly have a way to make hot water on your stove. Okay, so that's where the hot water comes from. Hear me out. The next step is you need a bucket. 
the bucket I'm going to use is a cloth bucket that folds flat, and it holds a few gallons of water. When it's full, the bucket sits up and it holds water and is no problem. And then when you're done with it, you fold it down and put it away. You want to take your hot water and pour it into this bucket that will already have cold water in it. Now you're going to have to play with it and figure out what temperature you want. What's your ratio? Are you going to boil the water and then add it to two gallons of cold water? I don't know. You're going to have to figure that out on your, on your own, just like I'm going to have to when I actually try this. So what do we get so far? We have a bucket of hot water. Okay, how do we get that on our body? This is a tricky thing. You might say to me, you already have a water system in your van. What is this bucket thing for? Well, this is for a portable shower and pump unit that is all in one. It's not plumbed into the van. Imagine a handheld shower head, and then there's a hose coming down that, and at the bottom of the hose, there's a water pump, and it runs either on internal battery power, it has its own batteries, or you plug it into a cigarette lighter. Basically, this thing will take water from anywhere and spray it out of the shower. So you put that into the bucket, and voila, there's your shower. Now, how do you stop it from getting all over the van? Now, I know there's a popular thing where people are using hula hoops. You put a hula hoop up and you put shower curtains around it and you can get in there. That's not what I'm going to do. I could, and I might still do that, but I think it might not be necessary. Because water going out the sides of the shower isn't as big of a concern for me as water on the floor of the van. How do you capture that and make sure you're just not flooding your van? And the answer, I think is a folding dog pool. Now, if you haven't seen one of these things, it's like a kiddie pool. It's a little tiny pool. And traditionally, those have either been hard plastic or inflatable, but they also make them that fold up. They're vinyl. They have basically cardboard walls that are covered in vinyl. And the thing folds up into like a book. And it's actually adjustable. You can unfold only certain parts, and you can change the shape to match the contours of your van. It wants to be a circle, but there's no reason why it can't be a rectangle. And some of these have a drain hole that's on the side, and that's the key. That's the important part of this. So here's how the whole thing works. You heat up the hot water on the stove. You pour it into your bucket. You adjust the temperature with cold water until you're comfortable with that. You put your charged or plugged in pump and shower unit into that bucket, and then you're good to go there. And you take your shower, sitting down probably, because I'm looking at this from the aspect of a small van, in the dog pool. The dog pool catches all the water, and then it drains out the side. Now, caveats. You can do this inside your van, that's great. You have to do this in a place where you can get rid of that water immediately. You don't want to drive with a dog pool full of water in the back of your van. So my van, where the sliding door opens, there's a little bit of a step. I mean, it's, it's like an inch. It's just a depression. I'm going to hang the edge of the pool over that with the drain, and my idea is I will just drain it right out the door. And somewhere environmentally conscious, either into a storm drain or into a rocky area next to the side of a road or whatever. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to do this right next to a river. I'm not going to do it in the middle of a park. It will be somewhere where it's okay for a bunch of this water to dump out. Gray water is a, is a complicated thing. People kind of freak out about it. But to me, this isn't any different than washing my van. And no one thinks twice about washing their, their van on their suburban street or their city street. You've got all that soap and water going down the drain. 
This is the same thing. And of course, I'd use a biodegradable soap. So I hope you can picture all of that. Again, I don't have the stuff yet, but when I do, I'm going to do a full review of all that and how well it works. And I'm pretty excited about it because winter's coming. Winter is coming. And I will not be able to take my cold water outdoor showers much, much longer, especially if I travel around the north. And I am looking to do some snow travel this year. Happy to hear your thoughts. You can tell me I'm crazy. You know where to get a hold of me. But right now I'm excited. We'll see what the reality is soon. Tech Talk. Air compressors. Okay, somebody actually asked me about this and I, I didn't address it, so I apologize. I'm going to address air compressors now. I've talked several times about lowering the air in your tires so your vehicle works better off-road, basically. Of course, the only time you're ever going to do this is when you have an air compressor to pump your tires back up. Now, for that purpose, there are a number of small 12-volt Plug into the cigarette lighter air compressors that you can get. Uh, mine happens to be a Slime brand. I know I keep ending up with that brand, but they make a lot of tire stuff. It's a little tiny thing. It fits right under my driver's seat. I never think about it until I need it. It's a great thing to have anyway, but that air compressor can do other things as well. So not only can you pump up your tires, not only can you pull it out whenever that tire pressure light comes on, which seems to happen as soon as it gets cold out on almost every vehicle I've ever owned, but you can inflate things with it. If you had an inflatable bed, you could inflate it with that air compressor and save yourself a whole bunch of time and breath every evening. That's an important thing to think about. You can also use it to blow out lines. Now, depending on how your plumbing system is, some people winterize by simply blowing all the water out of their lines. And an air compressor of this size can do that. And if you're super fancy, you can install a Schrader valve in your plumbing just for that purpose. Google that. I'm not going to get into it right now, but that works well. You can also use the air compressor to pump up the tires of your bikes if you have bikes with you. It, there's just a lot of things you can do with an air compressor. So I always travel with one. It doesn't take up much space, and I think it's a great idea. But here's an important tip. If you have a larger van, a larger cargo van, those tire pressures in those can be as much as 80 PSI, and you need a heavy-duty air compressor for an 80 PSI tire. So my NV200, I've got basically passenger car tires. They're heavier duty. They're at 44 and 48 PSI. My little air compressor can do that. But if I had a Promaster or maybe even an Econoline, I would probably need a larger air compressor. So when you buy one, make sure it can handle the pressures you need for your van. And there's another option here that I've seen a few vans do, and I actually had this option in my giant Wander Lodge that I used to own, is you can get a real air compressor with a tank and use that to power tools. You can actually have an air tool system in your van, which is great for things like removing the wheels and doing any kind of grinding or cutting or anything like that. I think this is something to look into if you're the kind of person who's going to be living in your van while you're building it, it opens up a whole bunch of new options for you for power. And in some cases, you can even use it to power brakes on a trailer. But boy, do a lot of research before you consider anything like that. So those are my thoughts on air compressors. A $15 or $20 air compressor is going to be fine for most people. Bigger if you have a full-size van. And then if you're looking at doing them for tools and stuff like that, that's totally doable. You just need the space and a big enough air compressor with a tank. All right, let's do a bit of news. This time we're going to do news. Um, 
So here's some van life news. Folks are trying to get us all to establish the van wave. So people in Jeeps know this, that when you pass somebody else in a Jeep, you give them a little finger wave. And that actually happened in Land Rovers, too. We would often wave at each other. And, yes, my smart car. In rural parts of the country, if I ever saw another smart car, which was pretty rare, we would also wave at each other. But it wasn't a simple little finger wave. It was like, oh my god, there's another smart car! And you'd like wave drastically with both hands and try not to go off the road. People have suggested, hey, we need a van life wave. Hey, there's somebody else in a van. I can see that Max Air vent on their roof. I know what they're up to. I would like to recognize them as a fellow traveler. And so a finger gesture has been suggested that basically creates a V and an L with your hand. So, using your left hand in the U.S., I assume you would use your right hand in other countries, hold up your hand so it faces away from you. Stick out your thumb, and then your forefinger and your middle finger, keep them separate, but then fold down your ring finger and your pinky finger. And what you should have there is a V-shape, between your middle finger and your pointer finger, and an L shape made out of your pointer finger and your thumb. And if you're going to show this to somebody else, you actually have to reverse it. I'll have pictures. I know I'm not doing a very good job of describing this, but I think it would be nice if we had a van life wave that would simply point out that, hey, I recognize you as a fellow traveler and you have my best wishes. That's kind of a cool idea. Definitely check the picture in the show notes so you know what I'm talking about. In a less pleasant note, a fellow member of a Facebook group posted that he was involved in an incident, and in fact, I found it in the news. On the Blue Ridge Parkway last week, there was an incident where someone tried to break into somebody's van in the middle of the night at one of the parking areas. If you're not familiar with the Blue Ridge Parkway, it is this isolated and beautiful stretch of road that travels through all of western Virginia and down into North Carolina. And what's interesting about this road is that It's designed to be driven on. There aren't any exits, and you won't be driving on this thing to get anywhere except on this road. Now, there's all kinds of hiking and stuff off the road. But basically, if you're on this road, it's because you're traveling this road for recreation. And it's generally the kind of place I think would be safe to spend the night because nobody else is going to be out there except fellow travelers. But apparently, that is not the case. At about 3 o'clock in the morning, this gentleman heard somebody trying to break into his van. And details are sketchy, the police are involved, I don't know exactly what happened, but the incident ended with the van owner shooting the would-be robber or burglar. And the person survived, but they're in the hospital. The police came, and the police arrested the van owner. And he was held for a few hours and then finally released. And uh, to date, so far as I can tell, there have been no charges pending. Lots of issues here, lots of things to talk about, but I'm just going to report the news that that's a thing that happened on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and it kind of bothers me because that's exactly the kind of place I would prefer to park at night, and I've always thought of those places as safe. So, there you go. And the last bit of news is that the Canadian border with the United States, or (laughs) the United States border with Canada, depending on your perspective, is scheduled to reopen September 21st. And I'm of mixed feelings about this. I don't know whether I'm happy or sad about that. I certainly would love to be able to travel back into Canada. I had planned to go there this summer. I was going to drive to Newfoundland, but COVID-19 got in the way of that. I am just concerned that Canada has done a very good job of dealing with COVID-19, and in the U.S., our numbers look terrible. 
and that opening this border then might not be a great thing. So uh, we'll see. The border was supposed to open several times already, and the date keeps getting pushed so far as of recording this, which is on Tuesday, September 8th. It hasn't been pushed, but we'll see if it does. Okay, product review. I was watching a Foresty Forest video, as I want to do, and he surprised me when he basically pulled out of his pocket a boat. <laughs> that wasn't exactly out of his pocket. But he pulled out this little tiny boat and started rowing across this lake so he could get somewhere to go hiking. And I thought, why shouldn't I have a boat in my van? I mean, think about all the things that opens up having a boat in my van. So after doing a whole bunch of research and realizing that I weigh, oh, at least 175 pounds more than Mr. Forrest, um, that the type of boat he had, which is kind of a hiking boat, was not appropriate. So I went back to my old standby of Sea Eagle. Sea Eagle makes high quality inflatable boats of many different configurations. And as I would often be paddling out there with my wife, I decided I needed to get a fairly large one. So I ended up with the Sea Eagle 370. This is a kayak, and I think they call it that simply because it's designed to be used with kayak paddles rather than canoe paddles, although you could certainly canoe in this. Its basic design is two inflated tubes that are attached at either end, and in between the tubes, there is an inflated floor that's almost like an aerobed. And then there are a couple of other inflated parts that keep it all held together. Like I said, this is high quality. The material is not your standard pool floaty vinyl. It's pretty tough. In fact, I ran into a tree trying it out and there was no thought of it getting punctured. It was completely fine. And uh, yeah, if you do get a puncture, it comes with a repair kit. What I bought was a package and it came with an electric inflator, which you don't really need because the foot pump is actually super good at inflating this thing. You can have it completely inflated in about eight minutes. And it came with the paddles and some upgraded seats, which I heard were really important. And it came with a sail. I'm not so sure that that works all that well. I haven't quite got the hang of it yet. This thing always points forward, so if the wind is coming towards you, the sail is working against you. All that said, I think this is a great solution for people who want to get out there and don't know where to put their kayak. This is not the same as a hard shell kayak, but it is rated for about eight miles an hour when you paddle and it can do class three rapids. So it's not a real super lightweight. You can do some serious stuff with this. And the 370, which is the larger version of this, there's a 330 that's smaller, holds 650 pounds total. So you could easily take everything out of your van and put it into this kayak and head out for a few days of canoe camping or kayak camping as it might be. Overall, I think the thing is great. Couple little caveats though. It's heavy. I am putting this on the back of my van behind the solar panels, and it's a bit of a struggle to get it up there. Even though the boat itself, they say, weighs 37 pounds, with all the stuff, the, the pump and the seats and the paddles and all that, I think it's closer to 60 or 70 pounds. And on my van, I have to lift that over my head and put it on the roof rack, and it's a little cumbersome. If you had a garage in your van, you could just stuff it in there. It's about the size of a very full kitchen trash bag, maybe a little bit bigger than that, and a very heavy one. So it's not the type of thing you're going to hike with for more than a 1,000 feet or so. And again, it's fairly heavy. But 
it does let you go boating from your van, and I'm very excited about that. And it, the big thing is you don't have a kayak on your roof that's covering your solar panels or hanging off the side or inviting people to take things from your van. It is a very stealth solution to having a boat. If you're a solo traveler and you're by yourself and you're never going to have anybody else in your kayak, or you're a much smaller person than I am, I would recommend going with the 330, which is essentially exactly the same boat. It's just smaller and lighter, and there's no reason to have a bigger boat than you need. The 370 is huge. I mean, I looking at the thing, I'm thinking, boy, I could sleep in this. I could actually go out in the middle of the lake and anchor somehow and then sleep in the boat, and I think that would work. I might do that. We'll see. While I like Sea Eagle because I've owned the products in the past, just consider the general idea of having a boat in your van. There are the little tiny ones like Foresty Forest has. There are some less expensive ones. I mean, like $100 that will get you out there, but you got to be very careful of popping them. And this whole package for the 370 that came with everything was about $450 with free shipping. It did take about a month to get here because... This is the kind of thing that people are buying during COVID times. They're thinking they can't go do the normal stuff, so they're going to go out to nature in their boats. And they're super popular. The first time I took this boat out, I saw four others on the pond I was paddling on in, in Illinois. So that's it. The Sea Eagle 370. I will have a link in the show notes. And I just think it's a fun idea, and, and we're going to use it an awful lot. A place to visit. And yes, this place to visit is an entire state. And that state is Rhode Island. Yes, our smallest state. Why is it called Rhode Island? You can Google that for yourself, but there's actually a good reason for it. Anyway, they say that when you're in Rhode Island, any place else in Rhode Island is only 45 minutes away, which is why I kind of think that this is its own place to visit, the entire state, because you can see the entire state in a weekend or a week, depends on how detailed you want to be. And Rhode Island has amazing camping opportunities. There's a place down at the very southern point of Rhode Island called East Beach that's a state park, and you can camp on the beach there. And it's a sandy beach, which is actually fairly rare for New England. Most beaches in New England are covered in rocks. There's also woods and hiking and things you just wouldn't expect. There's a place called Coventry, Rhode Island, that has these mysterious rock structures out in the woods. And we're talking about a 20-minute hike here, not too deep in the woods. Remember, it's our smallest state. They're basically cairns. They're these pyramidal piles of rocks that have been carefully stacked. And nobody knows why they're there. Therefore, of course, aliens must have done it. Or perhaps a farmer who was annoyed that there were so many stones in his field. It could have been that as well. Anyway, it's a fun place to go visit and speculate as to where these rocks came from. And that's not to mention Newport, which has all types of boating history. And there's the quote-unquote Viking Tower there that looks an awful lot like a colonial windmill base. Seriously, check out Roadside America and just look at Rhode Island. There are... Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of things to see here. It's one of my favorite states to visit. There's just all kinds of interesting stuff everywhere you look. 
and it's friendly, and they even have their own kind of food. They do hot dogs different. They have these sandwiches called dynamites that are sort of like a sloppy joe, but not really. You got to go try them out. Plus, they have all the normal New Englandy food that me, for having grown up in New England, I see as very special, such as the very rare roast beef sandwiches that I crave and can only find in New England. Give it a shot. Rhode Island is one of the more van-friendly places in New England. You can have all the New England experiences with a lot less hassle. And you will be seeing things that a lot of people just ignore because, hey, it's Rhode Island. Well, I'm a fan of Rhode Island, and I think you should be too. Okay, resource recommendation. If you are new to van life or you're considering van life and you really want to dig down deep faroutride.com has literally everything there is. (laughs) This is a website set up by a couple and this is their full-time business is helping other people join van life, build vans, overcome problems, and they share their journey with us as well. So there's lots of stories. In fact, they have a section called Tales from the Road that I promise you I did not copy. We both came up with that independently. So That's really all I have to say about it. Check it out. There's everything there. They have a Facebook group that goes along with the website. They seem like really nice folks, and they have lots of really good advice, and some of it's super technical. They also have a very nice electrical calculator that's built into the menu of the site that if you're wondering how much battery power you need for what things you want to use, it will tell you all that. So check it out, faroutride.com. They do an excellent job of simplifying some of the more complex aspects of van life. A little bit of Q&A, I got an email from Erica asking me about my job and how it lets me do all this travel. Now again, I am not a full-timer, so I have a home and I do much of my work from home, but I can also do it from the van, and if I was a full-time van life person, this is a job I could certainly do from the van without too much trouble. And I work for, and I caveat here, I just left my job this week, but pretend that didn't happen. I work for a nonprofit called Team Rubicon. It's a disaster response organization that's a military veteran oriented, although I'm not a military veteran. It's a great organization. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And I managed to get myself a contract there in the training department where I was a trainer. And I had an administrative role and I also had a training role where I would actually go and facilitate trainings myself. And I got paid for doing those things. Now, it's nonprofit. It's not a huge amount of money, but I was able to do that, and it's the kind of job that you could do from a van with no problem, so long as you have internet access. I bring this up not specifically, but just to give you an idea of what's available out there if you look and get yourselves involved the right way. Getting associated with a volunteer organization can be a pathway for you to find money to support you while you live on the road. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening. This has been episode 39. Music, as always, was by Simon Wag. I would love for you to vote in my poll and tell me where to go. And we'll see what kind of a joint adventure we can have, especially for some of those of you who can't travel. Please travel vicariously through me, and we'll have a good time. Until next week, remember what Sir Richard Burton said. The gladdest moment in human life, methinks is a departure into unknown lands.